Well, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a number of weeks here, quite quite some time. We're we're uh, about two chapters from from the end here. I think we've got about maybe four more weeks after this sermon. We're in Mark chapter fourteen, and um, remember last time we we saw the contrast between. Jesus, who was, who was the faithful one on one hand, and then we saw the, uh, the faithless disciples, uh, really headed by Peter on the other hand. Um, you know, we noted a, a lack of humility with Peter as he boasts, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And uh, his confidence in himself uh, really exceeded his const- his his confidence in the truth that Jesus had uh, presented because Jesus said you're you're going to be scattered you're going to fall away uh, you know even even though he certainly must have meant well we we see in Peter a a tendency for self dependence for self exaltation and. Uh, as the Proverbs say, pride comes before a fall. And we're going to continue uh, along this, this same line where, where we see Jesus on one hand, Peter on the other. We're going to see Jesus' self-denial and self-sacrifice. And this can be contrasted with, with Peter's self-defense, his self-preservation. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, the, uh, the great preacher of the 1800s in England said there are two sins of man that are bred in the bone and that continually come out in the flesh. One is self-dependence and the other is self-exaltation. And it's very hard even for the best of men to keep themselves from the first error. The holiest of Christians and those who understand best the gospel of Christ find themselves in a constant inclination to look to the power of the creature instead of looking to the power of God and the power of God alone. And so let's let's continue in Mark chapter 14 uh, verse 53 where we're going to we're going to continue to see this contrast. We're going to see Jesus's self-denial, self-sacrifice with we're going to see Peter's self-defense, preservation, you know, while he's down in the courtyard, well, Jesus is being tried. So read with me, starting with verse 53 of chapter 14. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands in three days, and I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? 
And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, (coughs) What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemn him, condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the cock, or the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Lord, as as we uh, look into your word today, we just ask that you would um, just shine your light into our hearts. Lord, give us give us minds that are undistracted and is ready to hear what you have to to say for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So let's look at this contrast that Mark is um, laying out here, and we'll start with Peter. We'll start with Peter's uh, self-defensiveness, his self-preservation. You know, we we touched on self-defensiveness last time. Remember when uh, Jesus said that they would uh, turn their backs on him? You know, it says that the disciples asked, "Is it I?" And uh, you know, they remember it was kind of a kind of an anticipated response of no you know they're being self-defensive they're they're offended that Jesus would suggest this about them you know you know essentially they're saying surely not I. I I would never do this I would never forsake you Jesus you know they were deeply disturbed that Jesus would would suggest this about them but Jesus was right Jesus was right he they failed him just as he said they would you know, they, they slept in the garden when Jesus prayed, where they should have been praying themselves. They should have been keeping guard. They were scattered when Jesus was arrested. They were self-defensive. They defended their own honor, their own integrity. But when it came down to it, they failed. You know, Jesus, Jesus was faithful, and they were faithless. And in, in today's text, we can see we can uh, we continue to see Peter's uh, breakdown. You know, he still defends himself in the process. He is unfaithful. He's also untruthful. You know, Peter had Peter had spent the last three years with Jesus. Uh, he, he's seen the amazing things that Jesus had done. You know, spirits cast out. 
People who couldn't walk were getting up and leaping. You know, the blind received their sight. Jesus had forgiven sins. Um, Peter had also heard Jesus' teaching. Could you imagine sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his, his teaching? Must have been pretty amazing. You know, Peter was the one who, who first confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. He, was, he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And uh, remember, Jesus said, well, you know, flesh and blood hadn't revealed that to you, but the Holy Spirit has. You know, the Holy Spirit had, had opened his eyes to this. You know, Jesus had called Peter friend. He'd included Peter into his, his inner circle. But, you know, when, when times are hard, what happens? Uh, we, we can sometimes find ourselves slipping back into, into the old ways, into our old ways of thinking and, and being, you know, back into the old ways of the flesh, and when Peter's in the courtyard, you know, the, uh, the high priest servant girl recognizes him as having been with Jesus. And what does Peter do? He lies. He says, who, me? You know, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crows. Again, the same girl, the servant girl tells people who are standing around, this, this guy was with Jesus. And Peter lies again. Nope, that, that, that wasn't me. And when the bystanders ask him about it, you know, probably something about his accent and the way he carried himself. You're a Galilean. You know, Jesus is from Galilee. You, you know, you, you, you were with him. And Peter curses. Peter curses and he denies even knowing Jesus. And the rooster crows a second time, just as Jesus said. Peter had earlier defended himself against what Jesus said he would do. Now, Peter is doing exactly what Jesus had, had predicted. You know, he's defending himself to preserve himself, to save his, his own skin. You know, he's, he's rightly afraid of, of what might happen. You know, here Jesus is being tried. If... If Peter took Jesus seriously, he, he would know that Jesus is, is on his way to uh, being condemned to death and, and dying. You know, Peter, Peter wants to lay low. He wants to be uninvolved. He doesn't want anything to do with, with what's going on. Now let's look at Jesus, who in very stark contrast with Peter, does not attempt to defend himself. He does not attempt to uh, preserve himself. Rather, Jesus gives us the, the perfect picture of, of self-denial, of self-sacrifice. You know, Jesus acts quite differently from Peter. He doesn't panic under the stress of the moment. In fact, he shows himself to... Uh, be calm, to be in control. Even while he's being accused of these things that he knows will ultimately lead to his death. And he, he's silent against the accusations that the people have against him. But he's not helpless. And uh, there, there are four things we see about Jesus in, in this account. You know, first, 
Jesus knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. You know, we see him continuing in a, a prophetic role. Everything that's going on here is happening just as he said it would. Remember, he has told his disciples three times, three different occasions, what's going to happen. He's going to, he's going to be accused. He's going to suffer. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be killed. Then he's going to rise on the third day. You know, he's, he's been telling them about this. Second, you know, we need to keep in mind that, that Jesus is not helpless through all this. You know, he's, he's not a helpless victim. He's, he's in charge. He knows exactly what's going to happen. You know, that there's, there's that song, you know, he could have called 10,000 angels, you know, with, with one word, he could have done whatever, whatever he wanted to do. But he had a mission. You know, third, you know, we need, we need to acknowledge that in, in many ways, uh, Jesus' own actions uh, led to what is happening now. You know, Jesus certainly was not denying his identity, you know, especially once he, he rode into Jerusalem. Remember, he, he rode in on a donkey. He, he rode in as, as a king. And, uh, you know, he was purposely making a statement that he is the Messiah, the Messiah King that the prophets had spoken of long ago. <clears throat> he rode in with a lot of fanfare as the people quoted from the Old Testament saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes into the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And the religious leaders had, had long purposed to destroy him. As early as chapter 3, it says that they were seeking to kill him. Remember when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath? And he asked, he asked the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to, to do good or to harm or to save a life or, or to kill? You know, anyway, this, this reception as he wrote it in, as he wrote into Jerusalem earlier, earlier that week, on the donkey being hailed as king certainly didn't escape their notice. You know, they, they saw what was going on and it riled them. He went into the temple. He, he drove out the money changers as he saw the temple having been made not a house of prayer as the father requires, but a, a den of thieves. My father's house will be called a house of prayer. My father's house. You know, he's, he's claiming very clearly to be the son of God. When he told the parable of the tenants, remember, they, it says they knew that he was telling this parable against them. You know, he, he was not being subtle. Starting from fairly, fairly early on, he a litany of complaints against Jesus. Uh, starting from fairly, fairly early on, he healed a man on the Sabbath. His disciples, as they were walking through the field, remember on the Sabbath, they picked grain without washing their hands. You know, on and on, this list has been growing. The complaints of Jesus have just been piling up over three years, and now it's finally coming to a head. It's finally reaching a critical point.
So now Jesus is being tried by the, Drew, by the Jews. He's being tried by the Sanhedrin, 70 elders, 70 Jewish elders. And uh, under, under Roman rule, the Jews did not have the authority to uh, sentence or to kill anybody. You know, that was, they, they were under the rule of the Romans. You know, the Jews, for the Jews, this was more like a, a preliminary hearing. You know, they'd made up their mind long ago. They'd already decided the verdict. Now they, now they needed to come up with, with evidence for that verdict that they'd already decided. You know, this was, this was a miscarriage of justice. This, you know, they, they needed to come up with a charge to present to the Romans so they could try him, so the Romans could give him the death penalty. So it's a conspiracy. It's illegal. Their motives are evil. Their animosity has been guilt, uh, has, has been building. You know, their their verdict is is guilty. The sentence they wanted, the sentence they demanded, was was death. Now they need to come up with with a charge. It's it's a conspiracy. You know, but Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew their plans. He they they brought in false witnesses. It says this is kind of interesting. the The testimony though was was inconsistent. You know, apparently they had not uh, done a good job coordinating the witnesses because they contradicted. You know, it's just a jumble of. I heard him say this, or I, I saw him, him do that. You know, the testimony wasn't such that they could condemn him. And Jesus, throughout this, stays silent. Amazing self-control. He doesn't jump in and accuse anybody of lying. And, you know, this was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed, And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You know, I wonder if if any of the witnesses actually said some of the uh, things, some of the things they'd really seen, you know, some good things about Jesus. You know, some of the great things that he's done. Um. Of course, if that came up, the religious leaders wouldn't have benefited, so that testimony would have been thrown out. And you can get the sense here that the high priest is is getting very frustrated. You know, out of frustration, I think he he says, "Don't you have anything to say for yourself? Don't you have anything to say for yourself?" And Jesus is silent. And then he cuts to the chase and he asks Jesus the big question, the important question. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? What did Jesus say? Yes, I am. I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Number four, uh, Jesus is the judge. He's the true judge. You know, isn't it, isn't it ironic that the Son of God, the judge of all mankind, is sitting here 
being judged by sinful people. And when asked, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? You know, they're, they're referring to God with reverence. You know, not even, not even speaking the name of God. Not, not uttering the name Yahweh. You know, are you the Son of the Most High? The, the Creator, the one whom we will not even refer to by name. You know, they weren't asking Jesus because they really wanted to know whether this was actually true. They were asking this in disbelief. They were asking this in a mocking manner. You know, essentially, they're saying, do you really think you can sit there and make this claim that you are the Son of God, that you are equal to the Father? Jesus kept his cool, didn't he? So, you know, Jesus and Peter each provide a, a contrast with, the, with each other. Peter, self-preservation. Jesus, self-denial. And um, next I'd like to see how, as Mark interleaves these stories, you know, Jesus' experience with the council and, and Peter's experience at the courtyard, you know, for each we see a, a critical moment critical moment. Jesus's critical moment comes when he's asked, are you, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? I am. He says, you know, this is, this is one of the key moments. This is, this is like almost the climax of this whole story of Mark's gospel account. Remember, you know, how Mark lets us in on the truth. Even as he starts the book, the very first book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as he goes through the book, he answers that big question, who is Jesus? And remember, there was, there was another climax where, where Peter comes to that realization, you are the Christ Chapter 8, 29 and 30, Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ. You know, Jesus is operating according to his timeline, under his set plan, and according to his purpose, uh, you know, that, that he was Christ, the Messiah. You know, he kept silent until the right time. Remember, he had earlier had told Peter, don't, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. But the right time is now at this hearing. Yes, I am. And the clock is set in motion, so to speak. You know, the, the events now are, are leading to the Christ or the cross. You know, the, the climax of the redemptive history of or for mankind. Now Peter's critical moment centers around the, uh, the his his uh, private personal catastrophe of denying Jesus. You know, whereas Peter had said, "I am," excuse me, Jesus said, "I am." Peter says, "I am not. I don't know him." You know, keep keep in mind the things that uh, Mark has has written about Peter throughout this gospel account. 
Um, you know, this, the, the, the heading on this book says the gospel according to, to Mark. Mark wrote it down that, you know, it's, it's, it's very strong. We have very strong evidence that this was information that Peter had given to Mark. You know, in a sense, this is the gospel according to, to Peter. And as, as the story unfolds, you know, we've seen Peter as a person who is quick to speak, quick to act, uh, not always quick to think first. You know, he's at time this impetu, what was the word? impetulance has um, served, it's served him well at times, I think. You know, when he and Andrew were fishing along the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, you know, Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately it says they left their nets, followed him, uh, no questions, no negotiating. Peter just immediately followed. You know, Peter was in the inner circle along with uh, James and John who spent extra time with him. You know, for instance, Peter was, was with them on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Peter, Peter who first confessed, you are the Christ. But it was also Peter who, rebu- who rebuked Jesus when, the, uh, when Jesus told the disciples, you're, he's going to suffer and die three days rise again. It was Peter who said, I'll die first before turning my back on you. You know, apparently Peter had a, a lofty view of, of himself. Now in the courtyard, as Peter is being questioned and abused, as Jesus is being questioned and abused, Peter is there. The other 11, well, one of them is gone, never to come back. The other 10 are in hiding. You know, Jesus, just as Jesus said they would scatter, they did. And just as Jesus told Peter, you will deny me three times, he did. You know, his, his self-defense and his self-preservation overrode his, his good intentions. And Peter completely falls apart here at this point. It says, when Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. It says he broke down and wept. He broke down and wept. Um, when I think about breaking down and, and weeping, I think of uh, my, my children when they were little. Anybody who's got children here have seen, their, have seen them break down and weep when things aren't going their way, right? This isn't like that. You know, Peter wept because of what he had done. You know, it just, it just hit him. This was profoundly bitter weeping. He wept deeply. This is, this is pit of the stomach weeping at what he'd done. And, you know, at, at this point, Peter, in his life, he hits rock bottom. You know, he's... He's at the end of himself. And you know what? This is exactly where Peter needed to be. You know, it's interesting that uh, Luke, in, in his gospel account, adds, adds a detail that bears mention. Luke reports that after the, uh, the cock crowed the second time, uh, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
you know, off in the distance, the Lord locked eyes, locked eyes with, with Peter. Uh, you know, Peter is experiencing a, a brokenness here, a brokenness that he needed to go through, a brokenness that he'd never gone through before. Now, in, in Mark, in this account of Peter's denial of Jesus, Mark mentions Peter one more time. And it's later. It's at the empty tomb. Where three women came here with us, came to the tomb with the spices. He, he's risen, they heard. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You know, he emphasizes this. Tell Peter. I want Peter to know. Peter, at this point, has to feel like he's unworthy of the Lord. He must feel that uh, he doesn't deserve to be named among the apostles. You know, he had denied his Lord. Tell Peter. Yeah. Make sure that Peter gets this news. And uh, yeah, we're, we're we're looking ahead here, but I, I think this this is good to mention. You know, the great thing about this story is not Peter's fall, but it's in his restoration. You know, Peter denies Jesus one last time, and the rooster crows again. You know, he knows what a wretch he is. For the first time, you know, he's he's been brought to the point of of utter brokenness. He's forced to admit his weakness. He's forced to admit his failure so that Jesus can lift him up. That's the only, the only direction Peter can go at this point. He's so low. He can only look up. And the Lord's going to do some great things with, with Peter. We'll, we'll see that later. You know, Peter's, Peter's fall you know, shows that operating out of the flesh, operating out of his own strength doesn't work. It doesn't work for any of us. You know, he'll, he'll learn to rely on God. And when we read Peter's writings later on, you know, we really appreciate where he's coming from in, in light of his, of his massive failure here. This is the same Peter who wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Listen to this. Check this out. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you into eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yeah, what a transformation. You know, um, Peter can say this from experience. At the proper time, he'll exalt you. You know, Peter has learned the value of humility. These aren't just words that Peter is saying. 
he knows he knows the importance of humility he knows the danger of pride and, and self exaltation you know he had first hand experience of being restored confirmed strengthened and established but you know peter had to experience utter failure before he could learn this you know god was later able to use peter in some amazing ways you know this this is peter who in the book of acts in chapter 2 gets up and preaches a, a short sermon and, and it says 3,000 souls were, were added to the church that day. You know, God can use our failures. We should never waste these kind of lessons. He can use our brokenness. And many times our, many times, uh, brokenness is, is required for our maturity. You know, many times, uh, well, we're broken because of our own selves. Just like Peter. We're no better. But Jesus didn't throw Peter away, did he? No, he had great things for him. He's a God of redemption. There's a, there's a Japanese word. Now let me see if I can pronounce this. Kintsukuri, which means golden repair. See this picture here? This is the art of restoring broken pottery with gold so that the fractures are literally illuminated. You know, Kin Tsukure, it says, uh, celebrates imperfection as an integral part of the story, not something to be disguised. The artists believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. In Kinsakori, the true life of an object begins the moment it breaks and reveals that it's vulnerable. The gaps between once pristine appearance and visible imperfection deepens its appeal. The piece is more beautiful for having been broken. Brothers and sisters, this is this is us. You know, sometimes it will take brokenness for us to be useful to God. You know, God uses used God used Peter's failure, his utter failure to to create a beautiful vessel for the for the kingdom. You know, filling filling in the gaps of of pride and self exaltation. Self-dependence with his gold. Our Lord, the, the potter, can make uh, a useful and honorable and beautiful vessel for, for his use. You know, something, something very precious and, and beautiful from something broken. So as we close, uh, we see Jesus' self-denial. The, the judge of the universe sitting silently while being judged by the unjust. You know, even, even so, you know, these evil judges, Jesus is doing this. He's going to the cross so that they may receive grace one day if they'll receive him. You ever wonder how many of these 70 who were trying him eventually came to the Lord? You know, in Acts chapter 6, 
you know, as, as we see the, the church growing and people coming to, to Christ, you know, it talks about some who had rejected him coming to faith. Verse 7, it says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Remember, John the Baptist had said, Behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, the, the just for the unjust. That's our Lord Jesus. And we see in Peter self-defense, self-preservation. We, we see him hit bottom. And God is in control. He'll use it all. In his amazing grace, his amazing love, Jesus said, greater love has no man that he'd give his life for his friends. It's John fifteen thirteen. Let's let's be captivated by his his love for us. Let's let's pray. Pray with me. Oh Lord, I, I thank you for this story, Lord uh, Jesus. There there is no no greater love, no greater love, Lamb of God. Um, I really have to say it's it's beyond me why you would suffer for me, why you would. Why you would die to, to set me free from sin and, and death. Uh, but I, I do thank you, Lord. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to, to cast off and give up our, our self-defense, our, our self-preservation, Lord. We, we can only have victory in you. We need you, Lord. Help us to uh, deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, teach us what that means. Penetrate our hearts deeply, Lord. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.